Powerful Republicans do an about face on vaccines, suicide shifts in Kansas, and billionaires in space on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Hey there, welcome to the latest edition of Vincent Jason Save the Nation. I'm Vince Colonnese. He's Jason Nichols. I'm on the right, he's on the left, and you're a great audience for being here. We're glad to have you. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, please like, subscribe, share. Uh, and join us anywhere you can get a podcast and certainly on YouTube where we could use all the, the pushes that we can get so we can get one of those framed things that tell us that we're impressive. That's really the goal here. <laughs> uh, uh, great to have you with us on a Friday. Uh, Jason Nichols, what's on your mind this morning? Man, there's so much on my mind. Um, first is I love the like the scruffy look. It looks like, you know, if you ever watch like a Superman movie after he's been defeated and he's kind of, you know, and someone has to encourage him to make a comeback. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're, you're looking good as usual. Um, <laughs> Thanks, man. So that's my first thought. My second my lazy, thought. It's my lazy day today. Didn't shake. Go ahead. But you, you know, the, the ruggedly handsome thing works. The ruggedly <laughs> handsome thing works. I got to hang out with this guy way more often. Go ahead, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, I, you know, you know, you're my guy except for your politics. But here we go. I wanted to talk um, about vaccines. Surprise, surprise. So now we've been seeing guys like Steve Scalise and Mitch McConnell. All of a sudden, when they tried to pretty much stay away from that topic, now they're encouraging people to get vaccines. And I want to get your opinion on that. Is that something that's going to motivate people to get vaccines? Is that something that people who are anti-vaccine are going to rebel against, particularly in the Republican Party? So I, I wanted to, to see what you think the motivating factor is in this change. And uh, will it have any effect? Because the Delta variant is starting to take hold. 83% of cases now are Delta. Um, so I wanted to see what you thought about that. Well, a couple things. One of the things that's going on here is I think the left is in a bubble on who's been actually pro-vaccine and who hasn't. And and uh, there's this there's this theory this week that well, all of a sudden there's a bunch of Republicans who are now saying that it's a good idea to take the vaccine. Like, for instance, like Sean Hannity is a good example of this. Uh, earlier this week, he had a, a clip that was going around on the, on social media where, the, where Sean Hannity was urging people saying saying that he likes the vaccine. He thinks it's a really good idea. You should consult with your doctor. Uh, and that clip got, got around, especially left-wing Twitter. But then if you look back, there's plenty of evidence of him talking about how he got the vaccine. He thinks it's a good idea. It's been going on for a while. It's just, it was pulled up this week and, in, and put into a kit of, of clips designed to say like, oh my gosh, like Republicans are suddenly pro-vaccine. As far as I can tell, like there have been plenty of people uh, on both sides of the aisle, but especially among Republicans who've said, yeah, I think the vaccine's great and have said so for a while. At the bottom of all of this is like whether it's really possible to influence people on the basis of having a public figure declare you should go get the vaccine. Uh, and I'm pretty skeptical of that. I don't think, you know, the idea of like having um, AOC go and say, I'm getting the vaccine and putting her on camera and showing her doing that and as, that, as a means of influencing people. I don't. I don't think that that's all that effective. I just think that you should like be honest with people about what you know and what you don't. And, and if you want to encourage them, go for it. But um, people are going to make up their own mind. There's, I think there's way too much invested in this idea that public officials control people's behavior. No, I don't, I don't think they control people's behavior. And, and it is absolutely true. And I haven't heard anyone on the left say that uh, all Republicans have been anti-vaxxers or they've been you know, even skeptical. I think there have been some Republicans who have been open about having taken the vaccine uh, and some who have been very open about uh, promoting the vaccine, particularly because it was a win for Donald Trump, uh, Operation Warp Speed. That's one of the reasons why we got the vaccine so quickly. Here's the, the issue. Many Republicans were not at least openly supporting uh, vaccines and vaccination. And Steve Scalise just got his first Pfizer shot. I think it's Pfizer. He just got his first shot, you know, in July. Um, and he is done an about face. He, of course, is the Republican whip. Um, I'm not so sure about Mitch McConnell. Wait, was he vaccine? Uh, was Scalise opposed to vaccines? Yeah, but he certainly was not someone who was 
promoting it. And I think one of the things that now you see him pro outwardly promoting it, and there's political calculus behind this as always. Number one, uh, we know that 40% of the new cases um, of uh, COVID right now are coming from three states. It's coming from Texas, Florida, and um, Missouri. In those three states, you have three Republican governors and six Republican senators, not a Democrat in sight. Um, they realize that if people start dropping like flies, start going uh, you know, to the hospital and being on ventilators and their families get upset and they're like, we listened to what you said or we basically listened to what you didn't say. Um, I think that that's number one gonna be fodder for Democrats who are challenging those two Republican senators, Rubio, who's up for reelection, and uh, Roy Blunt in Missouri, who is retiring, I believe. Um, it's going to be a, a big, big push coming out of the Democratic circles that are but trying to challenge for those seats. And they realize Florida. that. I'm sorry, but let's take Florida, for example, man. It's like, yeah, let's take Florida. You've got You've got Ron DeSantis, who has endlessly been pushing vaccines. He was attacked for endlessly? the way he was- Yes. In fact, remember when he was being attacked for distributing the vaccines through Publix? Like there was this whole pressure campaign like, oh, how dare you? And is, is this a is this a donor deal? No, Publix is the most prolific grocery store in all sure. of Florida. If you've been to Florida, you've seen a Publix. Yeah. And um, and he was distributing distributing it very effectively through them. So there was a media campaign to go after him for that earlier this year. Uh, and and he's out again this week insisting that the vaccine is a very good thing. But he's also stipulating an important point, and everybody should should continue to stipulate this point. It's a decision that an individual gets to make. It is it is one of personal liberty. It's informed consent. You can make a decision on whether or not you get the vaccine. At least that should be the way it is. So, uh, the idea that like that DeSantis, for instance, in particular, has been derelict in his duty to uh, to distribute and to publicize the vaccines. I don't think there's any evidence to support that. I mean, DeSantis. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think aggressive. I ever made the claim that he no, was derelict I, in his duty. I'm not saying you are. You are. I'm just saying that that is the general tenor of, of sort of the the blob right now, which is like, oh, all these Republican governors, and you point out Florida, uh, and and as getting, as a place where cases are rising and yes. outpacing the rest of the nation, where right. the rest of the nation people are. Uh, many people, and and it's certainly in in many of the the states run by Democrats. Uh, people have been taking the vaccine. They've let, they've had fewer cases, fewer deaths, and fewer um, hospitalizations. And the thing is, for Republicans, traditional conservatives, not the not this new brand, but the traditional conservative, uh, doesn't want a situation where the rest of the public is paying for uh, people's health care. And one of the ways to avoid that is uh for people to get the vaccine it's it is effective at lowering the chance that you will be hospitalized we know that yeah 99.5 percent 99.5 percent of the people uh who have died in the last six months have been unvaccinated from covid 97 percent of hospitalizations in the last six months have been from people who are not vaccinated. So um, I'm not, you know, I, I don't think it's it's necessarily, you know, no one's saying that, uh, you know, we should make vaccines mandatory by the government. Although I think employers can, you know, that's there's wiggle room there, but not from the government. Um, I think people are saying that it is the responsible thing for uh, public officials in the interest of public health, which is protecting the public, um, mm -hmm. and also for us who are paying for, uh, you know, the services that other people are getting when they when they go on a ventilator, and particularly when they're on some sort of government-funded health care, that the best thing is to encourage them to get vaccinated, because you are much more likely to get uh, sick or die from COVID than you are to get sick or die from a vaccine. Um, but it is, you know, this is America. It is your choice. Yeah. 
I agree. Well, this that. is an argument. That's that. By the way, that's a pretty good argument against government healthcare. It's like you know, if you're on government healthcare, then you know everybody else's interest is at stake. But if you're on your own private healthcare plan, it's a different thing. Um, yeah. I, I uh, let me just ask you one last thing on this. Uh, you see, the NFL no. is trying to urge all of its players to get vaccinated, and they're basically making it so that uh, if you're unvaccinated, that the it's going to be really tough for you to be a player in the league. And a couple of the players, including Leonard Fournette and DeAndre Hopkins, have come out and they said, no, they tweeted yesterday. They're like, no, I don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, yeah. that's, and uh, then instantly deleted their tweets because obviously somebody was like, hey, dude, knock it off. Some, their agent probably like, this is not a good Hell idea yeah. for you. Um, what do you make of that? What do you make of that, of that pressure yeah. from the NFL? Well, I'll tell you this. I love DeAndre Hopkins. He's one of my favorite players, uh, certainly one of my favorite wide receivers right now. Um, so I'm a fan of DeAndre Hopkins. But again, I think it's interesting that, you know, these guys are willing to play with a 40% chance that they're going to develop CTE, but are scared of the 0.00001 chance that they're going to get sick from a vaccine. You know, uh, I, th I think that that's ironic. There's some irony there. Um, and I think any NFL star has to understand, even more than other sports like basketball or hockey, um, and, and even in those situations, I think it's different. I, I think, you know, the NBA is going to be a little more concerned if Giannis or if um, particularly the face of the league, LeBron James, says, I'm not getting vaccinated, but the NFL, everybody's replaceable. It's the, it's not for long. It's the not for long league. Yeah. And DeAndre you know, Hopkins you, is very much replaceable. Leonard Fournette almost got replaced early. Right. And, and I, and I like both of those guys, but I, I think that they have to understand that. Guess what? They'll find some other guy. He'll step up. He'll uh -huh. become a star. He'll get that contract. I think DeAndre Hopkins has a hundred million reasons to get the vaccine. Uh, it's a good point. You've got, uh, you know, LeBron James, remember, he never actually disclosed whether he got vaccinated. He was under a tremendous amount of pressure to do that back in May. They were asking him and he said, yeah. oh, that's a family matter. It's a private matter. Uh, and uh, it went away. The pressure went away. And then, of course, he went away when he lost in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, after, uh, what was it, 10 straight finals? <laughs> May we all suck at our jobs as much as, as yes. LeBron James. I agree with uh, that. Who's, who's about to be a billionaire. And I haven't seen Space Jam yet, but uh, I won't promote it until they start uh, sponsoring our show. That's right. All right, so I got to talk to you about one other topic right after we take this quick break. You know, I, I don't know why I'm so energetic today. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm like super energetic. You got that good caffeine. Um, yeah, seriously. The best part of waking up. Um, but we're not going to promote that either unless they sponsor the show. But I, I did want to uh, talk to you about, have you heard about what's going on in Topeka, Kansas with the Frito-Lay um, strike that's going on? And yes. I, yes, I don't want to get your reaction to it. And I think this is an area where we're probably going to find a lot of agreement. Um, Although Frito-Lay has, has said and come out and said that a lot of the claims that uh, the workers are making are overstated or exaggerated. And, you know, I would argue that's not the point, but they're saying that a very, very small number of the workers are going through uh, what the claims are. But what are the claims? Do you, what, what are the, some of the claims that these guys are making against Frito-Lay? So number one, uh, Frito-Lay is exceeding all of its profit goals. Uh, they are making money hand over fist. People, for some reason, want Doritos and Sun Chips and all the things that Frito-Lay makes. Uh, right now, I guess, you know, I had some Frito-Lay stuff here. Um, probably won't be buying them anymore. But uh, for, you know, the summer, Kids right. are back at camp and all that. So they're getting their stuff out there. They're exceeding their profit goals. But yet, uh, many of the people would rather be outside in 90 degree heat because inside the facility, it's 100 plus degrees while they're working. Um, another claim is that they are getting eight hours between shifts. So let's say you live an hour away from your job. Mm -hmm. Take two hours away. You got six hours uh, to get in, say hello to your family, 
you know, maybe eat a meal, probably won't get to eat a meal with your family or with your kids or check their homework or, you know, if they're in summer school or, you know, even take a shower. Um, and you got to get up right, you know, again for work. That leaves you like, you know, probably six to maybe three hours to sleep. Uh, mm -hmm. Another claim that they are making, that the workers are making, is that they're being given so-called suicide shifts, um, which is, well, actually a suicide shift is, I believe, what I just stated. But, you know, some people are working 84-hour weeks with mandatory overtime. Man. You know, um, man, near heavy machinery, et cetera. Right. They're working 84 hour weeks uh, and they have mandatory overtime. That's not good uh, for you. That can't be good for you. It's not good. It's not healthy unless you are president of the United States. Uh, I don't or, or a physician who's in training. Uh, I don't think anybody should work that long, particularly, you know, and I don't know what goes into making Doritos or other Frito-Lay product, products. But working next to heavy machinery, I'm assuming there's probably machinery involved. Yeah. Um, that's not safe. You know, like, no, not if you're exhausted. Not, you need to be sharp. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think we're both going to come down on the side of the workers here. They now Frito Lay has responded. Um, they haven't talked about the heat of the facility, but they have talked about the fact that only 2%, uh, they say, of people have worked, I think, 60 hours or more. Uh, and the 84 hour uh, work week, they have 800 people in the facility. That's only been 20 people. Um, so they're saying that this is all grossly exaggerated. Okay. Um, and that they, you know, the union and everyone around had agreed to a new, uh, I think, like CBA, like a month ago or two months ago or something okay. like that. Okay. Collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. yeah. So, um, look, I'm, I'm on the side of, of workers using their leverage. I like that. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the way that the national unions, I think, have abused our country. And I think they've supported all sorts of causes that I completely disagree with. They've taken money from union workers uh, and advanced the policies of just one political party, by and large, the Democrats. I don't like any of that. What I do like, though, is uh, workers... Um, getting together to fight for their rights and fight for their ability to thrive and to see their families. That makes a lot of sense to me. You're working 80 hours a week, like forced overtime. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that this is a company that's in the United States of America. What I'd like to see is them figure out a way to hire more workers so that they can cover those shifts. They can pay people adequate wages and that, um, and that people can take time off and they are not forced into a situation they clearly don't want to be in. Some people like working overtime. Sounds like these guys are, are out there literally striking because they're being compelled to work to unbelievable access. So as a result, yeah, I'm for them fighting for, uh, for the, to protect their rights and for a, a square deal with a company that relies on their labor. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know mandatory overtime was legal. I, I thought that would be something that would be a run afoul of the law. Um, and I, I think there are some unions. Um, I think unions, we, we tend to put them all in one bag uh, for political purposes and, and expediency. I, I think that unions are different. I think that there are some labor unions that are really good and really yeah. important for laborers. No, I agree. Uh, I are, just mean, I just mean their their umbrella, their parent unions, the the AFL CIO, the SCIU. It's just been sort of it's uh, my my view is it's just been a corrupt inside deal, and it's all Democratic Party stuff. And I don't think that actually serves the workers. It doesn't. I mean, I look back at the last election, 2016 specifically, and you see the split between union rank and file supporting Trump and union leadership at the national level donating to and supporting Hillary. Uh, I think that really tells the story, uh, and. Um, so for that, you know, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of public unions either because I don't like the idea of um, of uh, arguing against, negotiating against um, the public, against taxpayers. But I do think private unions have real value, and um, I like to see workers uh, fighting for a fair deal. So you, you, uh, what, what, are you, what are your beliefs on some of these? Since you say you're against public unions, what about police unions? I think. Hmm. That's a great question. It's a really good question. I hadn't actually thought about it. I am generally opposed, though, to public unions because I do, as a fundamental thing, 
think um, that this isn't just negotiating against a private company, it's negotiating against the public. By and large, I've kind of been in favor of police unions because I, I'm more ideologically uh, um, interested in, in their side of the argument because I think police have been so abused um, in our national conversation that I think police unions have a real value in terms of where they are ideologically and the views they represent. Um, but uh, I guess when I think of public unions, I typically think of teachers unions. That's the, that's the big one that I usually yeah. think of. Uh, and, and how dissatisfying um, they are and how poorly they've conducted themselves. Um, anyway, that's, I guess that's my view. That's a great question that you asked it. I didn't think of it immediately, but it's a good one. I think, uh, you know, unions stand up for their workers and they're going to, you know, you give them an inch, they're going to take a foot. And, I, and, you know, I don't think that that's always bad. Um, I think that there are times that the public needs to push back. Um, you know, I'm in favor of a lot of teachers unions. Um, I think that they look out for teachers and I think teachers need to be looked out for. They're severely underpaid, severely underappreciated. Um, and uh, I also think that, you know, in some cases, though, uh, the public needs to push back and say this person is not a good teacher. They don't deserve to have their job protected. Um, so I, I, I feel the same way about police. Uh, and I think there are certain things that police unions have pushed for and government officials on the right and left have acquiesced because they think that, you know, um, if we don't do this, we're not supporting the police. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is a, a, a really faulty, bad way of, of looking at it. There are times when like in a lot of states, like in my state, we have um, something called Leobor, which is the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights. Right. And some of the stuff in there is absolutely ridiculous. Like it's absurd. Like you have, I think it's like police officers have like a week or 10 days to, to give a statement, you know, to get their story together before they give a statement on a fatal shooting. That's ridiculous. You would never do that for any other citizen. You know, um, say, hey, go home, think about it. Think about what you did and then give a statement. You know what I mean? As if you're going to remember better after 10 days than you would immediately after the, the incident. Um, it seems really, really ridiculous. Um, there are other things in it that are, are not in the public interest. Um, and I think that that's, you know, a, a bad idea. But do I think that police officers deserve to have unions? Absolutely. You know what I mean? I just think that sure. it's our job to push back on those unions and to not acquiesce to everything because, hey, we support heroes. You know, um, I think we have to we have to push back when it's not in the public interest. Um, and that's up to us. That's not you know, we can't take sound bites all the time. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And yeah. Think of political sloganeering. Sometimes we have to say no police union. Yes, you support you know, lots of good officers, but some bad ones. And we are going to push back on your claims because we are protecting the public. And that's the thing where politicians don't have the bravery to step up and, and criticize certain unions. They'll do it to teachers when teachers are the ones who are responsible for uh, helping their kids, uh, but they don't do it to police. And, and, it's, and it's strange to me. Yeah, um, I mean, I... I just like my final point on this is I think teachers unions have just covered themselves in shame explicitly over the past year. Uh, and as a result, I don't have a lot of sympathy from me. Not right now. Um, I like teachers just fine. I think teachers unions have so abused our children over the course of the past year, uh, broadly, not in every county, not in every municipality, but in plenty um, that I, I'm very unsympathetic to arguments for teachers unions right now. <laughs> All right. So, let me ask you uh, about something you may also be unsympathetic to, and that is the FBI. Um, you know, the intelligence community has gotten a lot of heat, you know, over the last four years or so. Um, but it's recently come out that Director Ray and the FBI received 4,500 tips on 
Brett Kavanaugh on Justice Kavanaugh and ignored them all when they were supposed to be investigating. Now, I think there's a larger issue here, not just about Brett Kavanaugh. Um, I think the larger issue is, can we trust the FBI to do their jobs or are they subject to outside influences and you know political influences that say, yes. hey, take a pause here, don't do this, don't do that. And in this case, it was you know probably the president of the United States uh, at the time, Donald Trump. And in another case, it may be somebody else or it may be some other force. Um, but obviously it seems like they are not this independent entity that we like to think of the FBI as. And historically, I never like to defend the FBI, but I have defended uh, the intelligence community as being uh, a nonpartisan entity in our country. And, you know, it's looking a little strange here. So I was I wanted to get your reaction. What do you think? I've had two reactions to this story. One of them is that everybody who was involved, including um, uh, Christine Blasey Ford's childhood friend, Leland Kaiser, uh, either didn't corroborate or said that they have no memory of anything that uh, Christine Blasey Ford was alleging. That was Leland Kaiser, who was, again, the central identified supposed witness to what Blasey Ford was alleging. So that's a huge deal and obviously worked entirely against the allegation uh, made by Blasey Ford. Additionally, I remember really clearly going back to that Brett Kavanaugh saga that the FBI was mere, it wasn't this was not a full blown investigation. They were merely extending um, their typical background check routine. I remember some explanations of that kind. So this fits with that, that they wouldn't be launching full scale FBI investigations. But let's say for a moment that they somehow uh, portrayed a dereliction of duty here, that this was a failure on the part of the FBI. I would welcome broadly a uh, having the left. I'm not just I'm not talking about you specifically, but the left to join me in my concern about the FBI. The FBI is completely out of control and has demonstrated unbelievable levels of either corruption and or incompetence over uh, over these past over especially this past decade. And I'm thinking of a couple stories that come to mind. One. You see the story about the the U.S. Olympic team last week, the inspector general report that was just released by the FBI about that Dr. Larry Nasser. Remember him? He was abusing yeah. all of those gymnasts, including the most famous Ali Raceman, Simone Biles, Michaela Maroney. We're all sexually abused by this guy. And he abused yeah. uh, upwards of 150 girls and women uh, sexually. Um, and then when the FBI found out about it, the FBI was alerted to this abuse going on. They did nothing. And it wasn't until a year later that he was arrested by local authorities. And in the meantime, during that year window, he sexually abused, according to civil suits that were filed by all the women and the girls, 70 different women and girls during that single year. That's due to the FBI's dereliction of duty. That is a gigantic story. And unfortunately, a part of, I think, a a, a, a a bunch of FBI stories we've heard like this. We just in the last week, the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot that the FBI apparently stopped last year, apparently was in, like, according to BuzzFeed News, almost every single person who was a part of the plot was actually in the FBI or an FBI informant, that the room was filled with FBI officials. And so at what point is it not somebody committing a crime, but instead the FBI inducing a crime in order to charge people with a crime? Uh, and then I'll think I've got one other uh, for you um, is I always mess his name up. Uh, Bubba is uh, Bubba Watson, right? In NASCAR. Wallace. Bubba Wallace. Is it Wallace? I just screwed this up yesterday. I said Watson. OK, yeah. Bubba Wallace. Remember the Bubba Wallace allegation? The FBI deploys 15 FBI agents to go check out his garage at a NASCAR race to figure out whether or not somebody had left a noose behind. You didn't need Sherlock Holmes to look at the rope and then look at the ropes in the other garages and realize, oh, that's a garage pool. It's not, it's nobody left a noose behind. Why did the uh, FBI send 15 agents for this insanity? I, I think the FBI is completely out of control. Um, I, I don't know that the FBI was ever in control. Um, the Bubba Wallace story, um, it actually was not a regular garage tie. Uh, that, that was actually seen um, that it was not a normal garage tie. And all Bubba Wallace did was report it, which he should have done. If That's it fine. Looked, 
not strength, you know, not yeah, that's fine. What it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I think the the conservative hate for Bubba Wallace was freaking absurd, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, as far as Blasey Ford, there was some corroborating evidence, you know what I mean, including uh, his own uh, calendar. Seth Abramson wrote a whole lot um, about uh, some of the corroborating evidence. But the big thing was, hey, investigate it, you know, take a look at it. And the FBI dropped the ball there. And if you got 4,500 uh, tips coming in, I'm sure 2,000 of them are complete BS. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, somebody who's, you know, just making a prank call or whatever. Um, somebody who just wants to be famous. Uh, somebody who, you know, knew somebody named Christine Blasey and it wasn't the same Christine Blasey. You know, it could have been a whole lot of things. But some of those were credible. And they were at least worth looking into. Now, I have no idea what happened that day uh, with Blasey Ford and with um, Brett Kavanaugh. With Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone will ever know. And I don't even know if Brett Kavanaugh knows at this point. You know what I mean? It was 35 years ago. Uh, he apparently was inebriated. I think the only person who probably really knows is Christine Blasey Ford. She's the only person that knows whether this is something that happened or it did not happen. Um, because, you know, I, I'm, you know, I think if you, if you ask anybody else what happened 35 years ago at a party when, you know, people were drinking, people may not remember that. Well, as you, I mean, um, but he is, as you know, just like everybody, owed a presumption of innocence. And the aggression with which that story was covered was unlike any, almost anything we've ever seen, certainly in a Supreme Court uh, process. Uh, and I don't know. Clarence the, Thomas was, was. The Clarence Thomas went through a lot. Clarence Thomas went through, went through a lot. lot. And, and, and he was guilty. <laughs> he actually did that. He said, I categorically deny it. He basically, which in other words means, yeah, I did this, but don't call me that. You know what I mean? Uh, what does that he, wait? Categorically deny means you deny completely. No, he's saying this the categorical denial, and he came up and he said, you know, uh, you know, um, that you know this was a high tech lynching of an uppity yes. black man, which is the most absurd. If anyone wanted to talk, all the Republicans who tell me about playing the race card, if that is not the ultimate play of the race card. You know what I mean? And I think you'll agree with me here. If that's well, there's the been, ultimate I, play of I the race say, card there, um, when he was, again, the, the thing with Kavanaugh and with uh, Clarence Thomas, the thing with both of them was this was not a criminal proceeding. You know, this was a job interview. And so the, the burden of proof and the burden, you know, all of those are very different you know, people are saying the presumption of innocence, et cetera, et cetera. That's yeah. in a criminal proceeding. And I would agree with you. Um, in a criminal proceeding, there's no way that I could find someone like Brett Kavanaugh guilty. Well, it's also it's also an important American principle. I mean, that's what underlies the the criminal principle is that we should presume presume innocence until guilt is proven, because otherwise then we become a very destructive culture. Um, you can't just let an allegation be the basis by which you judge sure. somebody. Um, so I. And on, on Clarence Thomas, by the way, he's been subjected to endless racism for his entire career, because especially being a conservative justice, that attracts a, an aggressive degree of racism. Um, and I, so I, I just so I don't I don't think it's that far afield for him to say that, that there were racial attacks that were directed at him because that definitely was going on. It has been it continues to this day. He's like that guy's I think that guy's probably called an Uncle Tom more than anybody in our entire society. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, I think that that, you know, he's usually called that by other black people. But I will say this. Um, I think that, you know, this this idea invoking lynching. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like when people talk about, you know, oh, don't invoke Nazism when you talk about Trump. Sometimes yeah. I agree with that. There are times yeah. where I'm like, yeah, that that's a little bit of hyperbole, and, and it and it down plays how bad the Holocaust really was. 
Um, but to, to invoke lynching when you are about to get uh, appointed to the highest position in your profession is despicable. I think it's disgusting. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say, I think that some of this is racially motivated. You know what I mean? Okay, I'd hear that. You know, you know me, I'll never deny that race can play a role in something because this is America and America has issues with race. Mm -hmm. But to invoke lynching when you are about to get the highest position that you're probably not qualified for, but you are about to get the highest position in your profession and to compare that to a lynching, you know, and I, and like I said, I, I don't know if I've said this on this show, but I have family members, you know, ancestors who were lynched. I yeah. found it despicable and disgusting. Yes. You but know, let me to put that on the level but, of a lynching. Okay. But like, just in terms of like uh, the types of comparisons you would use, if you were a, a Jewish person who lived through the Holocaust like nobody would begrudge you invoking a Nazi analogy in whatever environment you felt like, right? Like you had Clarence Thomas grew up in the Jim Crow South. He invoked a lynching analogy. I, I don't really see, I, I don't really see the knock. I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think- I think it's he, absurd. It is absolutely you don't absurd. Ag you don't agree with that assessment? No, I don't. I don't think that you talk about uh, lynching when you're in a, in a job interview for the highest court in the land. And you say, well, this is this is a high tech lynching of an uppity black man. Um, you know, it's and, and again, I agree with conservatives. Sometimes we Democrats and we people on the left use the the. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders were to say, oh, you know, Trump's a Nazi, you know, and I would not yeah. be surprised. I don't know for fact, but I, I would not be surprised if Bernie Sanders has family members who have suffered at the hands of Nazis or any right. other left-leaning Jewish person. I mean, I'll give you an example. I think it's fair this... to say, you know, hey, that's a little bit of hyperbole. That's not I'll right. give you an example. I'll give you an example from this week that I think is definitely hyperbole. Um, is, again, I've said, we've, we've talked about this at length, but you had Joe Biden again on that stage in CNN, at the CNN town hall, refer to uh, Texas legislation trying to get uh, voter integrity passed and you can disagree with the substance of the law if you want, but it's not Jim Crow on steroids, was what he said this week. Jim Crow on steroids. It's insane to, to say something like so, that. Jim Crow on steroids for something that is actually going to disenfranchise black people is- But it won't. But it won't. Is, hold on, is somehow less than saying that you're being lynched while you are uh, actually going to get a promotion to the highest court in the land. That's bigger hyperbole. I, I don't get it. No, Thomas's <laughs> point. Thomas's point. No, Thomas's point was that a lie was about to stop a well-qualified black man from getting into the highest court on well the land. Well-qualified. We can we can debate that, but you know, go ahead. Super, uh, Clarence Thomas. I know that you disagree. I think Clarence Thomas is brilliant, but. On on the on the idea that that what's happening in Texas would be Jim Crow on steroids, it's just nonsense for any number of reasons, including that more black people would be enfranchised by the Texas law by virtue of its mail-in ballot um, uh, uh, changes that don't require signature matching yeah. anymore, which disproportionately you and I have discussed disproportionately yeah. disenfranchises Texas is, black is already people. the hardest state in the country to vote in, but um, and. Some of the changes that of course came under the pandemic made it easier for more people, particularly in Harris County to vote. You and I know, we've talked about this a million times and we'll just wrap it up here. I'll give you the last word. Uh, you and I know that Harris County um, is the area uh, that Democrats uh, depend upon and that Republicans are afraid of. And so, a lot of the changes in terms of driving, uh, you know, ballots that help dis that help people in certain parts um, of Harris County, help the disabled, all of that, taking that away is going to drive voter participation down. And we know that that is mainly gonna affect one of the most diverse counties in the country. But I'll give you the last word on that. Um, we were sure. we were talking about something else to begin this segment. We went in a whole lot of different directions. But we did. 
Go ahead. Uh, uh, my final point on that is that I think that comparing anything to the uh, specific and unique modifications that would be needed to run an election uh, during a pandemic uh, is, is not the way we should view it and that we should view what happened in Texas in 2016 uh, versus what's going to happen in Texas going forward. And in that environment, Harris County and everywhere else in Texas now has expanded access to voting, expanded opportunities to vote, it, it, should, should this law get passed, um, expanded capability to vote by making forcing employers to let people take off work uh, in order to go vote, uh, and, ex and expanded hours. I mean, I just think all, all the way to up and down the, the line, there is much more access to voting now coming to Texas when this legislation passes. Yeah, I mean, when it, when it was first passed, of course, the, you know, when they, the first version, they wanted to to get rid of Sunday voting. I think that shows the uh, the intent of the of the bill in the very beginning was that they wanted to disenfranchise certain people. Yeah, the Republicans, but, the Republicans who drafted that said they made a mistake on those hours. Yeah, you, oh, you don't, you don't, no, they did. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to believe them. I know. I know you don't. But uh, they claim that um, that the hours that they had written into the bill were mistaken and then they changed them. OK, so. Um, I guess, uh, you know, as we wrap up, last kind of thing is billionaires in space. <laughs> you know, uh, we see Jeff Bezos is going to space and yeah. he thanked his Amazon employees uh, for sending him into space. I'm sure many of them would like for him to stay there. But he's uh, saying that and many people saw that in as insulting uh, because of the fact that, um, you know, there were reports, whether you believe them or not, of Amazon people, uh, you know, having not being able to use the restroom and mm -hmm. many other uh, issues. Of course, they're underpaid. Um, and Amazon makes money hand over fist. And a lot of it is going into Jeff Bezos's pockets to the point where he's just looking for things to do with his money. You can't you can't even like figure out what to do with it. Um, so wanted to, to get your reaction to Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And now it's created this billionaire space race, a private space race. I remember when it was all about NASA and now people can just kind of do their own thing and send themselves into space. Um, wanted to get your reaction about that, you know, with, with the absurd amount of wealth, which by the way, <laughs> all of these guys got more wealthy. Yep. Yep. After the during the pandemic, they yep. actually made more money while many of us were struggling and, you know, needing to get government assistance. Yep. And, you know, people who are renters are facing evictions all over the country. Right. Um, now that the eviction moratorium is going to go up um, on July 31st. Um, and we're worried that people are going to be homeless, literally. Um, but Jeff Bezos is headed to space. What's yeah, the, to that? the uh, well, I, I agree with you over the last year, you know, especially because governments crushed all these small businesses, told them they had to shut down uh, and then they were left on lifelines. And who got rich off of that? Amazon, the biggest, you know, obviously these gigantic donors to these politicians. Uh, everybody walks away happy, uh, except for the people who get crushed during the pandemic. That was horrible. Um, Amazon should treat its employees well. Uh, I think any business who has employees should realize that the relationship they have with them is important and uh, they should cultivate a good, healthy environment and one in which they actually uh, look out for their employees' interests. Um, that's a big deal and not leave them suffering, not leave them underpaid. I, I, uh, I, really, I really believe that. Should they be compelled um, by, by, government, uh, by government regulation? They should be compelled by their conscience, first and foremost. Um, to, yeah, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, we well, it used that. to actually. It used to. Um, there has been uh, an increasing in abandonment of the values. That's one of the values that actually used to make America much better. Uh, that you had rich guys who ran co companies, corporations, successful ones, who actually did care about the well-being of their employees, uh, and that's I think decreased over time and to our detriment. Um, the government. Yeah. The government. Uh, impositions on businesses often have adverse consequences, unintended consequences, like we've talked about the minimum wage before. But let me just answer this question on space and, and getting a rocket up there. Um, I think it's fine that Jeff Bezos spend money on something like this. I think it's more productive than parking it in a bunch of land holdings and then being a, a, a landlord and collecting everybody's rent. 
uh, and just becoming more wealthy. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you're going to spend it, spend it on something that you actually has money going out the door. Uh, and that's what he did. He, you know, I'm sure that there were a lot of people who actually probably many thousands who uh, derived paychecks from creating the rocket, the technology, the, the communities that that may have supported, the restaurants that support the workers, that support the space programs. Um, I don't mind him pushing money out the door because it's not like it actually leaves the planet, right? It's like, it's right here on earth that all of that yeah. money was spent. Uh, so that's, I'm fine with that. I, I do think it's kind of strange that like, you know, we landed on the moon uh, half a century ago and now we're all celebrating a guy who goes suborbital. Like, I, don't you feel like we should be going a lot further? <laughs> like, like it's, it doesn't actually seem like a big deal. He spent 11 minutes from, from launch to landing. Like, okay, well, that's yeah, great. I, I don't understand why that's a big deal. Also, he's not an astronaut. I want that to be really clear. You cannot call a guy who just rode along in an automatically piloted vehicle for 11 minutes an astronaut. He is technically the payload, uh, I think, would <laughs> be how we refer to him. Uh, and then, you know, finally, I'm, I'm, uh, I like the idea that private enterprise um, contributes to our understanding of technology and the future. So I'm okay with Jeff Bezos spending money like this. I'm okay with Elon Musk spending money like this. First of all, it's not up to me. It's up to them. It's their money. But secondly, I'm encouraged by it because I think that hopefully, uh, you know, some combination of government spending and private spending will increase our understanding of the kind of technology that will make America productive, could create American jobs. That's what I want to see. Will help us advance technologically and be um, a leader in the world and help us explore a cool frontier. I think, I think space exploration is amazing and it's the kind of thing that um, I'd like to see more of going into the future. Well, I have to say this, Vince, after the last segment really pissed me off, I will say this one, you've actually swayed me a little bit. I, I, did, I did not think about the production of the, the vehicle and how that actually like helped the economy. And, and so I, I got to say, I'm, I'm a little swayed in a way that I didn't think I would be. Um, so I, I think that that was an effective, uh, effective statement you made. I, you know, I, so I have to say I, I was a little, I was more looking at it from this egregious uh, flexing of wealth, you know, right, looking at right. this as like, all right, I can't buy another yacht. You know, <laughs> I can't buy another, you know, fancy vehicle. Yeah. You know, so what am I, or another private plane? What am I going to do? I'm going to go to space and I'm going to make a space vehicle, you know? Um, and I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but now that you say that, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I will push back though on what you said earlier, which was, you know, that um, Americans used to care about the well being or, you know, the, the ownership class used to care about the well being of their. Uh, employees. Um, we got to understand that the roots of capitalism in our country, and I know we're going to wrap up after this, but the roots of capitalism in our country are slavery. You know what I mean? Literally, you know, I'm not looking out for your best interest. I'm taking your labor. But that's not capitalism. At, but that's that not absolutely capitalism. capitalism. No, no. Here's why I say it's not capitalism. It's not, a, it's not a free market. So in other words, like you didn't get a chance to sell your labor if you were enslaved. So that's not a free market. No. That's a com that's a command economy. That's where you're telling no, people how they're supposed to conduct themselves. That is that is absolutely capitalism because you are purchasing the the enslaved were used as commodities and labor producers. It's you know a, but what, it, I mean? it, what it did a, was undercut okay. undercut of you know certain elements of a free market. But I I it, that's the the way it works. And so you know then we go into the fact that we talked about unions uh -huh. The reason we have unions is because labor was being exploited by the, the very rich. And, you know, of course, we could talk about the things that came after, right. you know, slavery. You don't, you don't want to believe slavery? Fine. So talk sharecropping. Talk about, you know, no, uh, I'm not saying that. Leasing. No, All no, the you're, ways you're in which it. our capitalist society, you know, and ownership classes have exploited yeah. American workers. So, so those points, should, though. I, I, I'm not saying oh, I'm just... not saying the duration of American history was some sort of glowing, you know, relationship between business owners and employees. I, I agree with you. And by the way, slavery is not employment. It's 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 it is a perversion of any market principle. It is it and 
and one that lasted for, for a long time. And, and thank God it's been, uh, you know, eradicated in a lot of places, um, most places. So I, I agree with you on all that. That's that, totally fine. What I'm saying is that, you know, half a century ago, maybe even closer to now, there was more obligation to workers, I, I think. And now what we've seen is people that have reached uh, remarkable stratospheric levels of wealth and less concern about workers and less of a sense of obligation to American workers in particular, and more of a pursuit of global enrichment that is at the expense of both American workers and consumers. I, so I, I agree with you completely. Like I was not mounting a defense of slavery. Um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that. I, what I was saying, um, and, you know, I could go into why, you know, going back to the slave trade, that that is the foundation of, of American or not even just the, not the United States, but when I say America, I mean, North, South, Central and Western Europe, um, the foundations of capitalism. It wasn't run by governments. It wasn't England or whatever. They, they you know, it's something called the El Asiento, which was the contract. So private companies, you know, if we look at a definition of capitalism, it's an economic system in which the means of production is controlled by individuals and corporations. So therefore, private companies got involved in the trade using human beings as commodities and labor producers. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm saying that's the foundation of, uh, you know, of capitalism in this part of the world. But we go on and we see labor being exploited throughout. If, if you don't want to, you know, um, we can get into the weeds in a different show. But if you know you don't want to agree with that, then you look at other parts of American history where there's always been exploitation of labor. You know, and and that is something that I think we probably, I I know we fundamentally agree on that. <laughs> you know, I do think what we've seen in the last fifty years is a separation between the ownership class and the amount of wealth that they take and the the labor class and the amount of wealth that they keep. Sure, so sure. I definitely think we've seen that expand uh, over the last 50 years. And so we probably um, agree with that or, or even over the last, I would say, 20 or 30 years. And I actually wrote a piece about that in The Daily Caller, if anybody wants to go back and check that out. But um, you know, this was a, a fun conversation. I know we got to wrap up. Uh, any last thoughts before we go? Just I, I'm appreciative of you as always and our listeners. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, like, subscribe. We'll be back with more content next week. We're excited uh, that you guys stick with us and you guys listen to our, our conversations. Um, and we have these, these debates. Uh, and we hope that you guys are going to Look at look at us on YouTube, look at us on Facebook Watch and uh, check us out on any podcast platform. Take it easy. Peace.